So this morning I want to uh, continue our exploration and development of uh, speech practice. I was um, I was inspired by uh, co-teaching a seven-day retreat on speech practice that ended um, July 5th. And it seems to be a focus at this time. I also taught a day long, a whole day on speech practice last Sunday. And so I was inspired and it seemed like there was uh, interest and resonance in this group to explore it. So I'm um, continuing with that. This is our third session on speech practice and the first two sessions are available. I think most of you know, but maybe not everyone. They are available on the Dharma Seed website. You can download them if you look under my name under teachers. Um, the, we record all of the sessions and they're available to be heard again and so forth. So, um, so this morning I want to go a little further with developing a refinement of how we develop mindfulness with speech practice. And I'll be bringing in and interpreting the discipline of nonviolent communication as a kind of mindfulness practice that directs us to look here with our mindfulness, look there, look at these aspects of speech and bring mindfulness to areas where before we do that, there may just be a vague approach to how we, how we speak or talk. And so this really helps tremendously with our ability to bring mindfulness to speech. But I want to give a brief review of where we've been the last two times, although quite brief, because my intention is to do two exercises and then still leave room for discussion. So that'll take a little bit of skill in working with time. Um, given that it's important to, to more or less end at 11. And so uh, I'll be brief with, with um, going over where we were the last two times. The focus of the first session was a kind of introduction to speech practice and that was particularly looking at why speech practice is important and outlining the most important of the traditional resources from the teachings of the Buddha on wise speech, which are ethical guidelines. So a few words on why speech practice is important. I, I brought in a um, very helpful quotation from Yvonne Rand, who's been a longtime Zen teacher, lives, uh, I think, I don't know if she still lives, but used to live at Green Gulch, or around Green Gulch, and this is what she said about speech practice. Words in a flash of the tongue can brighten or darken, obscure or clarify human experience. Therefore, it behooves anyone who cares about suffering in the world to pay attention to how words are used. Quite succinct, right? That we know that words can create great suffering or can be linked with great suffering, maybe it's better to say, and can also uh, open up healing, open up uh, deepening of relationships, uh, care, love, sense of beauty, and so forth. Uh, words are, in a sense, magical. You know, a few words for each of us right now could bring us to very negative or very positive experiences. <coughs> That's very interesting. We know that we could have a certain words that we could hear in the next hour or two that could bring both um, suffering and could bring a sense of uh, joy. It's, it's quite, quite powerful. And a lot of our speech, of course, is not very conscious, um, particularly that related to suffering, in which speech can lead to suffering. And so it's quite beautiful and crucial to give attention to our speech so that we can um, partly use it as a venue for creating less suffering and exploring how we are connected with the cause of suffering and also to see how we might use speech in helpful and positive ways. I've also mentioned both times, the last two times, that speech practice is particularly important for us who are, most of us, have 
families or work or are in the world and are talking a fair amount. It gives us, when we really use speech practice, our opportunities for speech, as an extension of our sitting meditation, it gives us a lot of opportunities to explore and learn. And really, also gives us more of a structure and support for having what's sometimes called our informal practice, as opposed to the formal practice of sitting meditation, gives us structure, support, and guidance for our everyday life practice, which often we may feel a little bit on our own, right? You know, yeah, when I do meditation retreat, those of you who've done meditation retreats, I can feel there's great guidance and good instruction, but what do I do at work? Is that really continuous with my core practice? And so having a clarity about speech practice starts to help us, or maybe continues for many of us, to help us to have the entirety of our lives be places where we can develop what's most important to us, can develop mindfulness and love and wisdom and so forth. So having a, as it were, a more uh, articulated speech practice is very crucial. We also looked at the ethical guidelines, and I think maybe I'll try to make more copies of the initial handout given, I think, the last two times, which were handout uh, which both um, identifies some of some uh, traditional accounts of wise speech, particularly the, I've, in, I've interpreted a number of different passages in the teachings of the Buddha on what usually is translated as right speech. I like wise speech a little bit better. It's a little less Victorian. All of the, <laughs> all of the translations of the Buddha's text were first initiated in Victorian England, and they have even words like mindfulness are a little weird, I think. <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll have better translations in 50 years, but uh, uh, right speech can sound a little bit basically uptight. You know, this is the California commentary on Victorian England. <laughs> uh, but actually, when you look to the etymology of the word, the word is sama, translated as right, and it's connected with words like summary. You know, uh, the the words of the Buddha, Pali and uh, Sanskrit and so forth, being Indo-European languages, a lot of the roots are the same as the words we have in English. And so the word sama, which is translated as right, is actually very similar to words like summary, or summation, or sama theologica, from Aquinas, or whatever. And so it could be interpreted to mean like uh, maturity, or uh, fullness. It's really fullness or maturity of speech, probably as good a translation as right speech. Maturity or um, realized could be another way to use that, uh, translate that word. So um, you, I, I'm using wise speech, which, we, which many of us um, have used, um, rather than, than right speech. Usually is unpacked in using, giving a few different criteria, which we could call ethical criteria, and those were discussed at length um, two weeks ago. And those particularly can be framed as letting our speech practice be truthful, helpful, come out of a warm heart, and be appropriate. Appropriateness can include good timing, clear intention, not being caught in distracted thought, um, and so forth. And these uh, guidelines, I think, are an initial reference point for practice. You know, and my recommendation for doing speech practice is to not try to do everything at once, but we've tried, I've tried to do a sequence so we can work with a particular practice for a period of time. So my recommendation, if, this, uh, if you're here for the first time, might be to take one of these um, sets of practices or one of these perspectives and use it as a guide. So the first set of practices we used was to work with the ethical guidelines and really see how you use your speech in reference to those 
really, it's really kind of a monitoring or taking an inventory of how we use speech. Uh, am I truthful? Am I helpful? Do I come out of a warm heart? Uh, am I, is my speech attentive to appropriateness, to good timing and so forth? Very all, and the teaching here that's really crucial is that all four of these have to come together. That if we, we can be truthful and helpful and not come out of a warm heart and have bad timing, it can make a mess of things. I think we know that. <laughs> and we can also be truthful without being helpful or kind. We can use truthfulness as a weapon at times. And so we're invited to look using these guidelines at our experience. We can do this in a variety of ways. We can uh, set an intention to work with them in the morning. We can do, use some of the techniques I've mentioned of, uh, I think I still have the four guidelines are next to my telephone. You can remember the four guidelines with every email. Try that, try it. It would actually change email in a major way if everyone used that. Um, we can, you know, write it. I have mentioned writing the guidelines on a piece of paper when I'm at a meeting and so forth. And the, the aim here is to really use them in part to be more mindful. Last time I talked more about using mindfulness in our speech practice, and I did talk in some length about using the guidelines as a uh, uh, support for mindfulness. So we can be mindful when we notice, oh, I'm kind of truthful but not so helpful. What's going on here? Let me look at my experience. Or sometimes after the fact we can reflect. And I also introduced the practice last time, which I'll extend further today, that I think is quite a crucial aspect of mindfulness practice. And this is, some, this is a kind of practice which was not explicated by the Buddha. And so just to, for, as it were, um, clarity's sake, the practices that we'll be doing further today and the understandings are really um, developments or expansions based on the practice of mindfulness, but we these are really not found in the, in the tradition, but for myself and others interested in wise speech, they are creative attempts to really bring the spirit of mindfulness and the ethical guidelines in ways that make it practical for us in this culture. So I think that mindfulness during speech was implied by the Buddha, but he never said, here are ways to be mindful during speech. Maybe the usual ways were understood. You know, so, for example, we can uh, try to, in our mindfulness during speech, whether we're speaking or listening, I can try to have some awareness of my body or my thoughts or emotions, to give pr two primary examples. So I invite you right now to explore that kind of mindfulness that we explored last time, which was to have mindfulness both inside and outside at the same time. Challenging. As I mentioned, we conventionally or mostly tend to be either attentive to entirely to the outside, you know, as I'm, you know, just focused on this television program or listening to the content of this talk. And I don't typically, I think in this culture, focus so much on what's happening inside. Or when I'm in meditation, I just focus 100% inside. And what I'm suggesting is that a core capacity for wise speech practice is having the possibility of something like 50-50 attention. 50% attention inward, 50% outward. This is an is intermediate or advanced capacity. It's not a beginning capacity. It's not easy. And in a sense, it makes sense to first stabilize in mindfulness, in meditation, before even doing too much with this combination of inner and outer attention. 
And if you try it, you'll find it's not very easy. And probably how many of you tried it during the last week? And it can be challenging, right? It's not easy. I invite you to do it right now. It's easier and it's a better place maybe to practice when there, as it were, no performance demands on you. You know, like right now you're just listening, you don't have any obligation. You know, I also try to practice it even with performance obligations. <laughs> right now, can I speak and still be aware of my body and any thoughts or emotions going through? So I'll invite that for you right now. And we'll do some exercises where we can further develop that. So last time we explored that. And again, we can, you, we can the more we develop in our mindfulness practice on the cushion, the more we can translate that into capacities that are valuable in our speech. So for example, being aware of the body, I think is a very crucial aspect of our mindfulness for, for speech, because what happens often in our speech is that we get totally caught up in the content of the speech. And as it were, we stay on a mental level. And so when we can bring some body awareness to the speech, we break the monopoly of the mind. Concretely, that can mean not doing anything too demanding or dramatic. Like right now, simply to have a little bit of awareness of hands on the knees or in the lap or of your body is a great way to practice. So it's not particularly looking, oh my gosh, I have to track I have to track 100% accurately every thought and emotion that's coming on and also <coughs> listen at the same time. And <laughs> I want to... Too much. I, I don't like speech practice. <laughs> you know, so um, it can be really like we're just looking for a little bit of inner attention. So it can actually move things along well if we go to a meeting and just have a little bit of awareness of the body. That's actually can be big. And over time, that can develop further so that we can actually track what's going on internally, particularly thoughts and emotions or a sense of, um, it could be happiness or agitation. And we, I think we can see fairly easily that to be able to track that at the same time that we're involved in speech could be very, very helpful. To know in the midst of a meeting that I'm agitating, agitated and developing a great deal of negative thoughts towards my colleague <laughs> or my coworker, to know that before I blurt out something unskillful <laughs> is very, very helpful. You know, it's really to track that. And, and so, and without that, we're on somewhat on automatic, which is true of a lot of our speech. And hence, the need for speech practice. And we can also look more carefully at our thoughts and emotions. And whatever we do on the cushion or in more protected environments will be useful for us in our speech practice. If I can really notice how my mind works, uh, if I can stay w and really study over time, how does anger <laughs> appear in my consciousness? Study in the context of my, um, my formal meditation practice in a protected place on the cushion, and I can really know how that works or know some of my patterns. Study them as they appear on the cushion. That will have a direct uh, transference into being more skillful in our speech. There also are some further refinements of mindfulness that, that are important. And here's where I want to go into looking at nonviolent communication, which is a discipline that's been developed by a man named Marshall Rosenberg over the last 30 years or so. And I want to interpret it, and here I'm influenced by my colleague Oren Sofer, who is a nonviolent communication trainer with uh, Bay NVC, which is the, the main local organization. <laughs> And he interprets nonviolent communication as a refinement of mindfulness. 
And I, from what I know, I agree with that. What's interesting about mindfulness is that we don't just ask ourselves, generally be mindful. I could say, oh right, be mindful. Go home and be mindful. (laughs) And you've already had a lot of instruction, so you might know what that would mean. But it's helpful to see that in the traditional Buddhist context, in in the teachings on mindfulness, Uh, by the Buddha, for example, he gives specific areas to look at. He doesn't just say be mindful, he says be mindful here, be mindful of the body, for example. He says there are specific areas where it's really, when you're mindful there, it's very, very helpful. You know, he didn't go out and say be mindful of um, how donkeys look carrying carts. hypothetical example, but, but he, he said he, he's, he, there were particular areas where we could be mindful which have particular help in getting at the roots of suffering and wisdom. And so he said, be mindful of the body. He said, be mindful of thoughts and emotions. Learn how to see them clearly. He said, be mindful of what's called the feeling tone, which is the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, because when we can see that, we can see more clearly how when there's a pleasant experience, we often try to grab hold of it. When there's an unpleasant experience, we almost automatically push it away. And when there's a neutral experience, we just ignore it. He said, looking at that carefully will give you a lot of insight into important areas. And he also said, look also at some of the larger patterns of your experience. These are called the four foundations of mindfulness. So it's really a looking in a specific way that's, that's important. Nonviolent communication especially invites us to look at four areas of speech. And my hope is to explicate these um, partly in this session and partly in next session and to give some sense of a practice, which you might do in the next week, and then come back. And really what I'm doing, I'm having a sense, I have six weeks, and then I hand the baton to Sylvia after six weeks. And my sense is to have uh, the first two weeks we've done, those are, uh, was first an introduction to speech practice, secondly, focusing on mindfulness and speech practice. Today, refinement of mindfulness and speech practice, focusing on two of the four aspects looked at by nonviolent communication. Next week, look at the third and fourth aspects uh, to look at in our speech. And then the last two weeks, bring it all together and focus on how to be skillful with difficult speech situations, which everyone, that's probably why you're here. You know, you've come to look at speech. Like, how can we be more skillful when we get startled or triggered or on chronically rough speech situations, like with relatives, coworkers, partners, ourselves? And remember that your internal speech to yourself counts as wise speech. Mm-hmm. So that's important. So, so, again, nonviolent communication developed by Marshall Rosenberg and really expanded by a lot of people. In the text, which is on the list I gave a few weeks ago, nonviolent communication, I think there's another edition, it's subtitled A Language of Compassion. And there's some other books which are on the list. Another similar book is a book called Taking the War Out of Our Words, The Art of Powerful Non-Defensive Communication. And there are books, and I think these books are in the bookstore. There's also a very a nonviolent communication companion workbook, which is quite helpful. gives exercises. And nonviolent communication can be understood as a refinement of mindfulness guided by the motivation to have our speech 
be a place of connection with others and compassion. So all of the tools of mindfulness and the tools of how to speak skillfully have to do with finding ways to connect with others, to reduce polarization, sort of hostile conflict, um, breakdowns of communication, and so forth. And to bring people to be able to have a sense of connection through speech that essentially helps people to realize more fully what's important in life together in a cooperative way. And so everything that is um, developed is linked with that intention. We could say it's an intention towards realization and compassion and a sense of interdependence, which are all traditional spiritual values from Buddhist tradition and, and many other traditions. The guidance is to look particularly at four areas. And the four areas are first to look in a speech situation to what really seems to matter. What matters for me, what matters for you. In nonviolent communication, the language used is that of needs, which may be a little bit unskillful. Perhaps there's better language that could be used. But that's the language that's used. But we can think of it as deeper values or what matters. So the invitation is, in a speech situation, can we be mindful of what really matters? And sometimes we don't know what really matters for ourselves or others. But it's an invitation to, part, in part, use the imagination to see what really matters. When we look to the... Um, maybe I'll just go over the other four. The second is feelings, which we could think of as emotions, the direct experience. The third are to be able to, in our speech, use a reference point to a neutral, a fairly neutral observation of what's happening in the situation. So it's, in terms of our mindfulness, it's to be, be mindful of how we use speech, whether we're giving more neutral observations or whether we're giving highly interpretive accounts of what's happened. And the last is to be able to, to use language to make requests for what might happen. So I'm not going to give attention to the third and fourth today. I'm just going to look today at needs and feelings and do an exercise I think with the time I'm probably just going to be able to do one exercise that helps us to tune into that, in, into those aspects. So first about, about needs. Uh, I think it's helpful to use, the, to use a word like uh, what matters or deeper values. And in the work of nonviolent communication, if you look at the handout called Needs Inventory, you can see examples of needs. They are taken to be universal. In other words, and in fact, this is when we tune into needs or what matters, one of the ways that the communication can be more skillful is that needs or what matters tend to be universal, and it's a place where we share. When I've worked with conflicts, for example, I've often seen that in conflicts, people actually often want the same thing. And that's very helpful to tune into that. It really helps us to often break through conflicts. It's very amazing when often one's embroiled in a conflict and one's totally focused on the issue, right? Or the content area. And when you actually tune into needs, you can see, oh, what does the other person want? I want to feel more connected to you. Oh, I want to feel more connected to you. And it's not working. <laughs> you know, but, and it's, it's actually, when you look, I mean, this is a very powerful principle, and I think maybe when the fifth and sixth weeks, I may bring in some of that work on conflict, because it's very interesting to go to that level. 
So what we want to do in terms of mindfulness is train ourselves somewhat in the next week and a little bit here to look at a speech situation and ask, what do I need? What does the other need? Interestingly, needs are distinguished from strategies. The claim in nonviolent communication is that everything that we do is in service to our deeper needs or values. So what, what is the need which brings you here? What might you say is a need that brings you here? If you, maybe you can even look at the list or come up with one of yours. Why are we here? What's our motivation for being here? Well, it might be to learn. It might be for learning or understanding or growth. Something like that. Community, right? And so forth. Though, though, any, anything else that comes to mind? Seeking truth, perhaps, whatever language we use. Equanimity. Yeah, finding more equanimity. You know, so a lot of the, um, and some, some of these we'll see are actually, sometimes it's hard to see the difference between a need or a feeling at times. So something like equanimity could be both a, an inner state, but also a need, as might compassion. I might have a need for compassion, but it's also a state. So... But you get the idea that when we um, tune in at that level, we go to the more universal. Now, I may uh, have particular strategies that help me to meet my needs. So your strategy maybe for reaching more equanimity is to come on Wednesday morning to Spirit Rock. We could, and strategy is not negative, it just means the way that I try to um, realize my need or meet my need. Um, but what's very interesting is that often a lot of our strategies are quite unskillful. You know, so think of um, smoking a cigarette. Might be a strategy to realize what kind of need. Yeah, maybe to relax, relaxation, genuine human need. And it might be, um, the strategy might be to smoke cigarette, maybe not the greatest strategy, or or people who drink a lot lot of alcohol. What might be motivation? Might might be similar, right? Yeah, or it might be connection with others. Or, you know, when I drink a fair amount, I feel more relaxed, I feel more connected with others. And could be skillful, could be used unskillfully, right? You know, and it's very helpful to distinguish the need from the strategy. So let me give one example. Um, and I want, I'd like you to see if you can see both the need and the strategy, okay? Um, a teenager wants to stay out till 2 a.m. with his friends. His mother wants him to be home at 11 p.m. Okay. Now, both of the, the staying out till 2, we could speak of more as a strategy. Being home at 11 could also be a strategy. What are, the, what's the, what are the, some of the underlying needs, perhaps, for the teenager to stay out till 2? Huh? Yeah, it might be independence, autonomy, connection, fun, and so forth. And what might be the motivation of the parent? Safety. Safety. Control. Might be control. <laughs> yeah. And control might be a strategy for safety. Right? So as you can see, that control may actually be more of a strategy than a need. Right? Okay. I'll give one other example. Um, a supervisor uh, at work asks employees to work on a report over the weekend, completing it by Monday morning. One employee wants to have the date that the, rep- uh, the time the report is due brought back to Tuesday morning. Okay? So there might be legitimate needs on either side, right? And getting, doing what they, you know, getting it done by Monday or Tuesday, or, those are different strategies. So what might be the underlying needs of the supervisor? Maybe timeliness, 
Mm-hmm. You know, being being timely. Could might it might be we don't know all the context, right? It could be that the boss says, "If you get your crew to get this by Monday, I'll give you a raise." So it could be could be financial, right? We don't there's a lot a lot we don't know of the context. What might be the motivation of the employee who says, "How about Tuesday?" <laughs> What might be the need, underlying need? Okay, time off on weekends is a strategy, but what's the underlying need? Might be balance. Might might be balance. You can look at the list here. What? Relaxation. Relaxation, renewal, connection, connection with family or friends, that sort of thing, right? So you're getting getting a sense of how we we tune in, and the invitation is to be able to look. Uh, in any given situation and let our mindfulness, as it were, and partly this is um, really a kind, also involves the imagination because we're, sometimes we have to guess, we don't know and so forth, but it's really bringing, as it were, our tuning, our inner tuning to get a sense of, of the needs. It's really a kind of, actually a kind of empathy. It's an empathic awareness. It's really maybe more about empathy and compassion. And so... In a moment, we'll do an exercise where we'll, where, where we'll explore just being with another and getting a sense of that. I want to say a few words also about feelings, uh, because this, this is also very crucial. And, and the, the essence, I think, of the nonviolent communication method is being mindful of both feelings and needs. And the others are, that we'll look at next time are a little secondary. That in speech situations, when we can be mindful of needs and feelings, we go a long way towards being more compassionate, connecting, and not being quite so caught up in the content or what happens. So, again, we can look at the words that are in the, in the feeling list. And this generally refers to something pretty close to emotions. And the invitation is to say, in a speech situation, it can be extremely skillful to tune in to my feelings or emotions, and also have a more empathic sense of what the other is feeling or what the other's emotions are. And um, rather than go to interpretations, and feelings or emotions bring in that quality of direct experience. Particularly in challenging situations, it can be very, very helpful and increases the likelihood of compassion and connection to be able to speak from my first-person experience about what I'm feeling or what my emotions are, rather than go to interpretations. And that's, that's the, really one of the reasons, because when we go to interpretations, it's very possible, particularly when there's some conflict, that we go to blaming and judging. And blaming and judging will tend to increase defensiveness and lead to a breakdown of communication. And so one of the main um, guidelines here for skillful speech is to be mindful of what's happening with self and other, not just oneself, but and other. And in speaking, particularly when there's some tension or difficulty, speak more out of first-person experience. We'll, we'll, we'll develop that further. So you can see that there are this range of emotions they tend to be more direct. What could be called a feeling is particularly distinguished from an interpretation. They have to do more with direct experience, typically linked with bodily experience. Part of what we want to explore is what are the feelings, but it's also helpful to know that there's a peculiarity of the English language that we use the verb, I feel, to mean I think, <laughs> you know, I feel that you're an idiot. <laughs> and so part of our inquiry is to really stay with actual emotions or feelings and to see ways that we use the word feeling and maybe confuse ourselves or others by using the verb to, to feel when we might more accurately say to think. And it's a little complicated, but that's partly. It's also important in tuning into feelings to see that they are more about direct experience 
and non-interpretive. We can use words that sound like feelings, but are actually highly interpretive. You know, so an example of this would, would, would be to say, um, I feel manipulated. Is, manipula- is, is, manip- is feeling manipulated an emotion? Yeah, anger might be a more sometimes an emotion, right? We don't we don't know. It could be, but when when I use words like often that end in ed, so I feel manipulated, I feel disrespected, I feel um, attacked, I feel um, co-opted, I feel intimidated. These actually involve interpretations. There might be some accuracy in the interpretation. It's not to say that the interpretation is off or that interpretations are not often useful. But particularly when there's um, some tension or difficulty, going back to the feelings and being able to to express feelings and tune into feelings separate from interpretation can be very, very crucial, very important. So it's helpful to look at to what extent do I use words that sound like they're feelings but actually use interpretations. We'll find ourselves using them a lot in moments of difficulty, you know. You know, when you said that, I felt disrespected. What might I say that would actually be more direct experience? That might be, you know, we kind of know what disrespected mean. It, it, it might involve a complex. What might actually, yeah, hurt. Um, yeah, see, these are tricky. What we're getting at here is to what the problem is with saying, I feel disrespected it sounds like we're saying, I'm feeling this because you did this. It attributes causality. I'm feeling because you did. And what we want to do is to somehow get to a level of feeling where we don't make that attribution of causality. That will tend to make people defensive. It's, it's also somewhat hard for someone to respond because they, in a sense, have to buy into your interpretation to even... Um, you know, respond. What are the, how do they respond? They say, you know, you're, I don't agree with your interpretation. That's probably not going to be a good roadway for, <laughs> you, know, you know. But, but see, we can, the invitation for the next week is to notice this. This is pervasive, right? And so when we actually look to our experience, we can, it really, we can see that in some ways um, it's really ultimately about taking some responsibility for feelings and not, and not um, attributing causality to others. So, because often we don't really know. Yeah. yeah if, if you're skipping a step, it's making yourself vulnerable if you can acknowledge the feeling. Yeah. And it's closing a door if you jump to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. So, let's do an exercise now that... Um, if you can find a partner, and be in physical proximity to the partner, <coughs> raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Okay, so here, raise your hand. And anyone not have a partner? So, okay, can say hello. Introduce yourself. Okay. So here's here's what I'd like you to do. First, first I'd like each of you. I'd like each of you to reflect on a recent situation which involved some emotion, um, had some significance for you. You know, if I was reflecting, I might reflect um, on my sister's wedding. And could be positive, could be negative, uh, but something that kind of on a scale of 10 might be 6 or 7. So it has some energy, but not the most energy. Okay? So reflect... Just go inside right now and reflect on a situation that involves some emotion for you.
and then you can come back. And then here the instructions are we'll each have a chance to speak. And the speaker, and I'll um, invite the person who's sitting closest to me to be the first speaker, just for the sake of, of time. I have, a, I have a tape measure up here if you, anyone. <laughs> so raise your hand if you're speaking first. Okay. So here are the instructions. Uh, the first speaker will actually only speak for two minutes. Okay. Be short. The first speaker will speak about the situation you just thought of, about something that's important to you. And when you're doing so, you can try to keep some awareness of your body, some of what we've looked at earlier. Keep some sense of presence as you speak. The listener, your task is to tune in to the feeling that's there and also tune in to what you imagine, in fact, uh, what you imagine the, the un, an underlying need that's present there as well. So this is, this is practice in tuning in to feeling need. And just as you're, as you're listening, try to stay both with the content and also try to be, have some awareness of the feeling, could be a few, um, and one or two underlying needs that might be there. And then I'll ask you to, at the end of two minutes, I'll ring a bell, I'll ask you to say something like, my sense is that you're feeling this and that there's this need, something like that. And I'd like the person who spoke at that point not to say, yes, you're right, or no, that's not quite right. (laughs) But actually just to notice internally what's going on when the other person has basically tried to have a sense of your inner experience. It may be that you feel really, oh, it feels really good to be heard and so forth, or, you know, hmm, it doesn't feel so good not to be heard. So, Marty, would you mind doing just a, a sample with me so we get the idea clearly? Sure. Okay. If I put you on the spot? <laughs> okay. So, come on up a little further. And, okay, you can stay standing and just, or sitting. <laughs> and let's just take, take 30 seconds and tell me, tell me about something that's, that's important. Uh, yesterday I uh, met with a client and um, uh, he was, uh, I, I <laughs> He was very he was very upset about a situation in his life, and as he told me some portion of it, I found myself uh, telling him what he should have done, and then feeling like, oh golly, he, uh, I think I'm deflating him. This may not be uh, the most skillful thing I could be doing mm-hmm. right so, now. So thank you. So, and then I would say something like, um, and remember, just listening, don't tell me whether I'm right or wrong. I would say, and this is just a start, I would say, I'm sensing that you feel some regret um, because you have a need to um, offer autonomy to your clients or, or to be helpful to your clients, maybe I should say. That, you, that that's important for you to be helpful. And then you sit with that and you, and then maybe you could tell me some of that accurate? Yes, I think that uh, was definitely part of yeah. what was going yeah. on and definitely the regret piece. Regret. So see, that's, we're doing, doing it pretty simply like that. So thank you, Marty, for on quick notice being, <laughs> being guinea pig. So you get the idea? Pretty simple. Um, so ready to start? So this, remember the, the practice for the speaker. You want to practice, you can practice some of that inner and outer. For the listener, you're practicing being mindful of, of needs and feelings. Okay? So one more piece. Throughout this practice, it's very helpful to set intentions. And so... Um, 
in a moment, I'll stop speaking. I'll leave 15 seconds for you to really align yourself with the intention, which might be to, real, to do what I just said. Then I'll ring the bell, and then you start. Yeah? Uh, with, for the speaker, um, being conscious of your inner, can you say that again as far as what, you know, when we're talking, how to be... How to be uh, a, l- a little, for, the, for this time, just a little bit of awareness of your body. Okay. Just a, you know, a little light awareness. Okay. Yeah, that, that's good enough. Okay, so set your intention. Okay, about two minutes. Let's, um, was that enough time? For the first person? A little bit. So take, take um, just uh, 30 seconds more if you need it. I'll ring another bell. So let's finish up. Now have the listener. Let me have your attention. Let's have the listener say something like what I said, I sense that you're feeling this and that you, these are the needs, or a need, okay? And the speaker stays silent and then you can, it's okay to say that afterwards then was that accurate. So now we want to switch, if you can bring it to a close. Um, Yeah, if you didn't do that, uh, you didn't do that yet? Yeah. Um, Actually, let's just go, for for the sake of time, what's most important is the tuning in and not the the correctness. So, So let's go now, switch roles. Second speaker, first speaker becomes second listener. First listener becomes second speaker. And we're not starting yet. And just set your, after I stop speaking, set your intention. I'll give about 15 seconds to set your intention for the listener to tune into the feelings and needs and for the speaker to keep some little bit of inner and outer awareness at the same time.
Let's have the speaker finish up. And now, um, again, keep this next part simple, just really for the listener. If you can just use one sentence and say, I sense you're feeling this, and that there are the, I imagine there are these needs. Not to give a big account, but just one sentence would be enough. And then let the speaker take that in, and then you can, again, just in a sentence or two, can give a, you know, some feedback as to whether that was accurate. So no need for a lengthy discussion. So let's take a little time for that now. So let's uh, finish up and uh, bring attention back to the whole group. You can thank your partner. So finishing up, let's, I'm going to take just maybe, take five minutes or so just to see if you, anything, if you want to report anything from that experience. Any observations or noticings that seem important? Please. Well, it brought to me kind of a respectfulness and a validation to this experience, whereas before I felt slighted or diminished and this was further humiliating, feeling humiliated. Yeah. There's a sense of validation. Remember, the, the intention for doing this is quite important. Just like the intention for doing speech practice is essentially to have there be less suffering and more wisdom and care. And so the intention for this practice in the, as it were, lineage or tradition of nonviolent communication is to have more compassionate, empathic communication. And just to actually know that someone is interested in what you're experiencing <laughs> is very, very positive. And in some sense, amazingly rare, <laughs> shockingly rare. Um, sometimes I think that what we most want in life is just to be seen and heard with some degree of care. That happens. We're happy campers, <laughs> you know, and it's quite simple but quite profound. And what, yeah, just having this experience of uh, having someone who's really interested in what your feelings and needs are, you know, and sincerely can be quite positive. Yeah, please. Well, my partner was able to tune into feelings that I didn't even realize I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Great, great point. Because a lot of this, we may not know very well our feelings, we may not actually know very well some of our underlying needs. How many people are going to 
well, probably people smoking cigarettes probably have a sense of relaxing, right, I, I imagine. But a lot of times we do things, we may not know why we're doing things. So part of this practice is to be able to tune in to what's there for myself. To really t- it's really to say, this is worth being mindful about. And that we can actually learn things. It's going to be useful for communication. And we, we're, you know, we're, we haven't got so much to the way of bringing this into speech practice. This is more like a training to get us ready for that. To actually have us practice giving attention in, the, in these places. Ultimately, we will be able to use this in speech um, in skillful ways to set, you know, to, to, um, it's really a suggestion that going in these, in these directions is a very skillful way when we speak to bring about greater connection and empathy and um, compassion, right? But right now we're like developing our mindfulness muscle, so to speak, to be able to, you know, so my invitation is to go around for the next week and just be having your feeling and need antenna <laughs> uh, working, which is very, very interesting. You know, if you do this, it's very, very, very interesting. And to see, uh, you can see a few things. One of them is, what do I usually do when I'm interacting? If I'm not tuned into someone's feelings and needs, where am I tuned in? <laughs> am I just tuned into my feelings and needs? Maybe. Might be. You know, am I tuned in just to the content? That's interesting, right? That could be a limited way of interacting. You know, uh, am I just, you know, you know, and or I, maybe I am very tuned into feelings. You know, there is... Um, Recent brain work talks about how when we connect well, there's this limbic resonance in which the limbic parts of our brain get in a kind of sync with each other. It's kind of like a, an iPod hooking up with a computer. <laughs> For those who know what that means. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, and there's a way that that is actually a very uh, real part. It's, it's, and, and tuning in there makes that real. It's like the way that some psychologists say that uh, a large part of our actual interaction with each, with each other is really about the nonverbal emotional resonance with another person. And that can be a large part of the reality. And tuning into that helps tremendously with being skillful in speech. So... So let's just, I think we're, we're at about time. So my invitation is to take, if you so wish, as your practice for the next week to work with this aspect of speech practice. And you can see, you know, can explore or experiment some with how you actually speak. You may choose to say um, to someone, I'm... You know, it sounds like you're really distressed about that, you know. And probably many of us do that anyway, you know, as a, a way we speak. But you might explore just um, bringing that more into your speech. And remember, this is both about oneself and about others. We mostly did it listening to others. But also monitor your um, feelings and needs and have this be, as it were, a further refinement of what we've already done. If some of you feel like, I really have a lot of energy to work with those four ethical guidelines, and that's really where I really want to uh, do my practice for this week, that's fine. But my suggestion is that you take one of these practices that we've been doing, perhaps the one we've just done today, and take that as your core practice in, in your speaking. And, and you can also, the feelings and needs you can do just with yourself as you're going about the day. What am I actually feeling? Very, very helpful. So let's just sit for then uh, 30 seconds a minute to finish. I'd invite what was helpful today and your intentions to be present. And as we do at the end of every uh, morning, 
we remember we do these inquiries and these practices not just for ourselves but also for others and we offer the fruits of the morning to each other and out into the world for the benefit and healing of all beings. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.